Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. Today's episode covers the out-of-town events in Season 3, Part 14, what takes place not in Twin Peaks. And that's quite a bit in this episode, though almost all of it is focused on uh, South Dakota. In fact, in terms of screen time, it's not that much. But in terms of what there is to talk about, this is actually one of the longer episodes of Out of the Town coverage for these Season 3 episodes, just because... There's so much to dig into in the discussions that Gordon and Diane and Albert and Tammy and all of them have here, uh, even without going too far into the mythology, which we have a whole separate episode to discuss. To start with, we're going to go back to a story section that was only in one episode, The Atomic Bomb, which was in Part 8. We get a glimpse of that in Andy's vision when we see the experiment, you know, the whatever you want to call that creature floating in that space within the explosion, or at least that's what's implied. So we do get a glimpse back to that. We can note a disappeared storyline, something that's been gone for uh, four episodes at this point. That's New York. Anything involving the glass box, the last we saw of it was in part 10 when Tammy showed the picture of Mr. C standing in that building. But uh, it's been dormant since then, so we can file it away, at least for now. Moving on for the next story section, we talk about the FBI in South Dakota, which is now just Buckhorn, although it's actually starting to spread out into other story sections. We see Gordon talk to Lucy and then Frank on the phone, checking up with them uh, because they recently found out. Well, I think Frank reached out to Gordon to try and tell him some of the information they'd found in the uh, reopening the Cooper files. We see Albert in the big hotel room, the, the one that has like all the equipment in it, He's telling Tammy about the first Blue Rose case, which we'll talk about in the Lodge Lore section. Gordon comes in to talk to them, but he's interrupted by a window cleaner who's squeegeeing on the window, really agitates his hearing aid. Diane comes in, and they discuss Major Briggs. They ask her if, when Cooper had that night with her, that experience many years ago, which she still hasn't told them what it exactly is and she says I don't want to talk about that but they prod her to say whether or not he mentioned Major Briggs and she says yes he did. Albert reads the ring that they found in Briggs's uh, stomach the one that says uh, to Dougie love Janie E and Diane is shocked she says Janie E is her estranged half-sister who lives in Las Vegas and has a husband named Dougie. This is one of the oddest connections of the series this is something I would love to hear feedback on what people think about the connection between Diane and Janie E. Moving on, Gordon calls the Vegas office of the FBI and tells them to investigate Douglas Jones, could be armed and dangerous, which is an interesting, funny statement considering how passive Dougie is. Gordon tells Albert and Tammy um, about what Frank told him. I think by this point, Diane has been sent out of the room. They're all a little skittish around her. They know something's going on. It seems like she knows they know, but she also doesn't quite know herself what's going on because it seems like she drifts in and out of a haze when she's collaborating with Mr. C. So after telling uh, Albert and Tammy what Frank said about the two Coopers, there's a pause and he says, and then I had another Monica Bellucci dream. And it's just so funny because people have been wondering, you know, Monica Bellucci's name had been released on the cast list earlier that year or the year before, actually, I think. And so for a long time, people have been wondering who's she going to play. One podcaster joked, oh, she's going to be the new Donna or something. But nobody, nobody expected her to show up as herself in a dream with her name announced. I laughed out loud when this happened. I thought it was so funny. And it's punctuated perfectly by Albert's voice in the background just going, 
oh god and they don't show him it's not a cutaway to him you just hear him muttering it in the background lynch likes kind of obvious comedy but this is a very subtle comic moment which i found hilarious so in gordon's dream he encounters monica bellucci in paris they're sitting down cooper's there but you can't see his face he just kind of fades in and out and with his head cut off by the frame it's one of the few times we see cooper in this episode he's hardly in it and uh, monica bellucci gets sort of sad at a certain point and she says we are like the dreamer who dreams and then lives inside of the dream and then she leans forward and she says but who is the dreamer and then she's looking over gordon's shoulder and he turns around and it cuts to gordon from firewalk with me to the old shot and it's very jarring and startling we see how much younger lynch looked 25 years ago i mean that's what happens passage of time but you know we've been getting used to him as this nearly 70 year old in or actually probably 70 at the time of shooting in the return and then to suddenly see him as this 45 year old back in the early 90s is just very jarring and makes you aware of the passage of time more than probably any other cut in twin peaks this transitions into a flashback to the sequence from firewalk with me of jeffrey's coming in and sort of chattering and talking to all of them and we see Cooper in this sequence leaning down at 10, 10 a.m. I'm worried about today because of that dream I had. The voice of Jeffries is actually dubbed over by a new actor because apparently David Bowie did not want his voice used. He didn't like the accent, which Lynch was really disappointed and upset about, but he found another actor, an actual Southern actor, to do the voice. Uh, this was before Bowie died, obviously. He, he was supposed to be in it, I think, in some way, but after he wasn't going to be in it, he said they couldn't use his voice or something like that. There's an article about it, which I'll link below. The end of this dream flashback, we see Albert and Gordon realizing that they'd forgotten this. Remember, he pointed at Cooper and he said, who is this there? And all of these little clues that now have more meaning for them. But I think also there's a sense like they didn't remember it. And this is one of the first indications we get of this idea of possibly different realities branching off from one another and then bleeding back into one another again. There's a lot to talk about in these scenes. Let's rewind to the beginning. What does Gordon silence? Why is he quiet when he's on the phone with Lucy? My guess is that this was shot as him listening to her talk. It's just a very funny reaction shot, but then when they were cutting it, they found out it was even funnier to have her not saying anything and him just sitting there with a long pause, a confused expression on his face. And then just cut back to her being silent and like, do you want me to connect you now? It could be wrong. It could have been designed that way from the beginning, but it plays that way to me and I really like it. When Diane comes into the office, you'll note she's wearing a green shirt. It's the same shirt she wore when they went to the abandoned uh, area where Hastings was killed. And initially I thought, oh, well, wait, is this supposed to be the same day as that? Where does this, does this take place before the Hastings scene? But then if you look, she's wearing pants in one scene and a, a skirt in the other. So this is actually a different day. We'll get to that when we get to the order of events section. But I thought that was worth pointing out for the more pedantic <laughs> among my audience like myself. Also, I would mention Tamley is wearing the same clothes as that scene in that episode. But Albert has a different tie. There you go. It must be a different day and Tammy just must be... Uh, I guess, wearing the same clothes. I do wonder how they did the costuming for this series where there are so many scenes that are kind of vague when they take place, especially if they were something that Lynch was writing off the cuff, which he did a lot, how they decided, like, the script supervisor where that was, you know, slotted in and everything like that. 
uh, did did Lynch kind of say, I want this one to wear this costume, but you can change your costume, but you stay in the same one. I said, that's something that would be fun to know. And it's also significant in that this is the first time when he says, then she quoted the ancient text. We are like the dreamer who dreams and then lives inside of the dream. And that's the Upanishads. That's something that we already knew was really important to Lynch. It's a Hindu spiritual text or texts, really. He quoted a particular uh, Upanishad uh, quote, before for Inland Empire when he was introducing the film for a screening. It's a very similar quote. It's like the spider weaves the web and then lives inside the web and this is like the dream. I don't have it in front of me, but it actually might be a longer version of this quote in which the dreamer is compared to a spider that weaves the web and then lives inside of the web. This particular affinity of him with this passage is, is well known before, but nonetheless, I think the Hindu texts that he's cited more often are uh, the Ramayana and also the uh, Bhagavad Gita, which he would quote on Twitter for like months on end back in like 2009, whenever he first signed up with an account, he would just share passages from the Bhagavad Gita. And additionally, he also, I think has talked about the Rig Veda. And I know Martha Nockhamson looked at the Rig Veda quite a bit when she was doing his biography. Nonetheless, when I was doing my journey through Twin Peaks series and I got to Firewalk with me, I took like a pause for a few weeks in my work on the series so that I could just read a lot of these texts and engage with them and find out what they had to bring to Twin Peaks as influences on Lynch and just part of his worldview. And I found by far the Upanishads to be the most resonant. So that was really rewarding to see it come up this directly in Twin Peaks. Like, okay, yes, that's right. It really does feel like, these do feel like the words that have the most resonance with Twin Peaks and with Lynch and the sense that he's bringing to this. As far as Monica Bellucci herself, I love the fact that she was brought into this. She wasn't in the script to my understanding. It was something Lynch came up with late in production and he was going to France for something else and was like, let's shoot a little bit with, with Monica Bellucci there. And I think Kyle MacLachlan was with them. This is mysticism without lodginess. Like, there's nothing in this sequence that connects it really, other than the Jeffries stuff, but there's nothing, like, in the Monica Bellucci scene that makes it feel like uh, somehow connected to Black Lodge. In a way, it's almost bigger than that, like her use of the Upanishads, that citation. It's like, no, we're getting a much broader sense of the dynamics, not just of this world on screen, but our world and how they're connected. And the question, who is the dreamer? That, to me, feels like it transcends the Black-White Lodge mythology. That's just my take. I think this is the third dream that we witness, that we actually experience in Twin Peaks. Although, this is a combination of talking about how sometimes things are shown, sometimes things are described. This is described and shown, and to the point where we even have a shot of Monica Bellucci saying something, and then cut to Gordon Cole sitting in the office saying the same exact line, repeating it to the listeners. So that gives it a little bit of a different feel. It also, stylistically, it feels a little different from how Lynch often presents this stuff. It's more, like, direct. And I think I talked about this with the host of the Twin Peaks Peaks podcast that I was a guest on uh, the week that this episode aired, how it actually feels like a little like Inception. I think this is true, both the harder edged design to it feels more like something like a Christopher Nolan would do than, than a Lynch who's often a little looser and dreamier, especially in his later work. But it's also true in the sense that there's like dreams nested inside of dreams. Like we have Gordon sitting there and then suddenly he's in the office and it's a flashback within the dream. And that's something that Lynch has actually always done. He does that in a racer head where somebody wakes up from a dream but they're still in a dream and Laura kind of does that in Firewalk with me. For the Mr. C story section this week, we don't have any plot. Uh, however, we do see Mr. C briefly 
uh, we see him and another Cooper who has a suit and short hair. Uh, could be Dougie Cooper or it could be the full-on Coop. And they're like superimposed against the red curtain in Andy's vision. And they're blurring together and they're coming apart. And we see them as separate and also together. And this leads to the question, I guess, if it is Dougie Cooper or or the other Cooper, what is that saying? Like, is, is Mr. C plus Dougie equal Cooper? Or is it Mr. C and then there's like the full-on Cooper as another version. This opens up a lot of questions, but it's a very brief moment and is Mr. Seed's only presence in this episode. Likewise, in Las Vegas story section, we don't see Dougie at all this episode. We have no scenes. So really, with the three Cooper moments that are in this episode, it's him with his head out of frame in the Monica Bellucci dream. It's the footage from Firewalk With Me of Cooper talking to Gordon and then Jeffrey's pointing at him. And it's these two uh, Cooper heads dancing around in Andy's vision. So we never actually spend time with like the physical character on screen. It's all filtered through other memories and and other people's perceptions and this kind of mystical realm. Within Vegas, for Dougie, we see nothing, no office stuff. For home life, we don't see any home life scenes, but we do hear about Janie E being Diane's half-sister. As I said, make of that what you will. There's nothing for the debt storyline. Uh, there is a new storyline opening up this week within Las Vegas. I call it The Search for Dougie. This is after Gordon has informed the FBI agents that they have to look for Douglas Jones. So we meet Headley and Wilson. And Headley's just this bully who yells at his uh, the lower-ranking FBI agent uh, all the time. Or maybe it's even just his partner, and he just terrorizes him as if he's the boss. Headley and Wilson this is our comic duo in this section. There's a lot of semi-comic duos throughout this series, Chantel and Hutch are obviously another one. Headley, interestingly enough, this actor, I don't have his name right in front of me, but he plays, he's on Mad Men and stuff. He plays Cheryl Lee's love interest in this independent film called The Makings of You, which is also of note because Grace Zabriskie plays Cheryl Lee's mother in that. So reuniting Laura and Sarah Palmer in another film. And unfortunately, I don't think it's been released on streaming, on DVD, on anything. It had several festival screenings about four years ago. And then it just, I don't know if it couldn't find a distributor or what, but it's never been properly released since then. So that's unfortunate, but uh, I've heard good things about it. Anyways, moving along with Vegas, assassination plot. There's nothing this week, nothing with the Mitchums, and nothing with the Great Northern Key. That's it for this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can support this work on patreon.com slash lostinthemovies. Tomorrow's episode will cover the events in Twin Peaks. The scenes that take place there divided up by the different storylines. 